Our first speaker uh, this afternoon is Dr. David Doran. I want to tell you how I became acquainted with David. It wasn't at first listening to his preaching ministry or reading his books. I became acquainted with David uh, because I spent some time on the field with the men that he had actually discipled and had trained. And I saw the caliber of their lives, their commitment to Christ, their faithfulness and effectiveness in ministry. And I became intrigued about where it was that they had been trained and equipped. And I learned from them uh, that they attributed the leadership of Dr. David Dorn in their lives to equip them to fulfill their call into missions. I know that David is the president of Detroit Theological Seminary, where his commitment is to equip and to train men just like we do uh, at the seminary and TMAI. But he also is the pastor of Intercity Baptist Church. So David leads from the pulpit, and he leads in the context of shepherding his flock. And having seen the fruit of his ministry and the lives of the men that I've seen on the field, I had great confidence in inviting him to come and speak to us on the topic of preaching missions from the text. How does a pastor lead his church through his preaching ministry to fulfill the Great Commission? Please welcome Dr. David Dorn as our guest today. David. Thank you, brother. Let me invite you, if you could, please, to turn First Thessalonians chapter 5, and I think they're going to bring a handout to you as well uh, while, while you're turning. So we'll see how well you can multitask, turn and pass at the same time. It is a great joy to be able to be here, and I want to say thanks very much for the opportunity uh, to, to be here. Thank Mark for the invitation, and uh, Jimmy has done a, a lot to help out in, in uh, getting things ready, and I uh, count it a real joy to be able to be here this afternoon. Uh, one of the reasons that I'm thankful to be here is because of the, the, the topic. I'll have to admit, when I got it, I was a little uh, wrestling, because uh, talking about preaching expositionally and then giving a topical topic uh, sort of sort of really... Uh, is a challenge. So what I'm going to try to do is, is combine uh, some focus on a couple of texts of Scripture, but then also because I want to try and uh, move us to, I hope, what would be some application-oriented things, I'm going to work through that. And and the subject, though, is one that I, I think really is a, a very important one. It's a, a necessary one because we need to be committed to the exposition of Scripture and uh, missions, obviously, is central to what God has called us to be and do as, as uh, the people of Christ. Uh, I was thinking, actually, as, uh, as John MacArthur was speaking, he went to Grace Church in 1969. I actually came to the church of which I'm the pastor in 1969, too. But I was an eight-year-old boy who came to Christ uh, through the ministry of that church. Uh, God used the church where I'm the pastor uh, really to be the, the, the place where my whole family, my mom, dad, two sisters, all came to Christ, all got baptized together, so then I grew up in the church. And then in 1989, uh, when uh, my pastor, who had been the pastor for 40 years, was retiring, uh, the church extended the call to me to come back and be the senior pastor. So I've been the senior pastor there for a little over 27 years in February of this year. Uh, and if you're uh, doing math real quick in your head, you know that that means that I was pretty young when I got started. In fact, uh, I was 27. So almost half of my life I've been the pastor of the church where I pastor. And so starting at 27, 
Uh, I was young uh, and and uh, really entering in the pastoral ministry. The one place that I feel like I most operated by assumptions was with regard to the issue of missions. Uh, my heart had been committed to pastoral ministry, and so I'd, I'd been studying, preparing, thinking about church. I'd been serving on the staff at another church, and so, so I had thought through a lot about uh, pastoring, about the congregation, but, but really sort of left missions as, as a little bit of an assumption. Uh, that it's something that the church does. We've, you know, we need to be committed to this. We'll be committed to it. In fact, when I uh, became the pastor in God's grace, we, we actually, the first year or two I was there, were, were able to finish off paying down the debt at the church. And so we started to turn, you know, full bore into expanding what we were doing missions wise. And, and, and really it did not take me long to realize the danger of those kinds of assumptions. Okay. I just, I, I, uh, naively assumed that uh, missionaries and mission agencies and our church were all just sort of lined up, that missionaries all had the same idea about what they were supposed to be doing on the field, and that their idea about what they were supposed to do on the field was the same thing we thought they should be doing, that, that we all had a, a common goal, a common target that mission boards or mission agencies were operating from the same set of assumptions and and that they were actively involved in making certain that what was happening on the mission field was, in fact, what we all assumed was supposed to be happening on the mission field. And in fact, I was fatally, I think, assuming that they were responsible for making sure that that was done rather than the local church being responsible for making certain that the work is being done. Well, it didn't, it didn't take me long uh, to see that, that I was seriously mistaken in treating this crucial aspect of what Jesus has called us to do uh, under assumptions when, when I had uh, really a very different approach in everything else. I mean, if you'd, have, if you'd have talked to me about how I thought the church should worship, I wouldn't have been assuming a bunch of things. I'd have been trying to prove from the Scriptures that we were doing what, what we thought we should. And so began the process, really, uh, of trying to work to align those things and 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 work out to them. I mean, I had a, a Bachelor of Arts in Bible, I had an MDiv, I had a THM, and was involved in a doctor of ministry program, and had never taken a missions course. That I could, I I know there were little windows of missions in it, but really was just sort of left over here. It wasn't brought central. So when we talk about this subject, we talk about this issue, it is one really that I feel is crucial for us because we ought to have a very clear, biblically grounded theology of missions. That we ought to have the same kind of convictions and, and, and focus on what we believe Jesus commissioned the church to do that we do so many other areas that we, we, we turn our attention to and we want to be grounded in a theological approach to ministry. And so, so we need to do that, and that means we have to, first of all, come to know that ourselves, but then if we're shepherds, we have to preach, teach, and lead that, right? We, we need to accept the responsibility to, to uh, be able to pull together what we believe the Scriptures teach and then proclaim that disciple that, lead that. And so what I'd like to do is really just sort of focus on that 
this morning. I'm going to go in three parts. You can see from the outline there, principles, uh, which will be really a, a reminder of some things and anchored in the text, and then uh, practice, which will just be a quick review, and then uh, and then actually a paradigm through which we could think about this. And uh, to be honest with you, the only reason I've given you the, the outline is because I'm a little concerned about getting done inside the time frame. So what I've done is sort of strap myself to that thing, and I have to keep moving that way, all right? And and so it's there, and and I don't have to worry about you. Uh, if you're trying to take notes, you've actually got sort of the structure of it, and you can fill in alongside of it. So hopefully it'll serve you well, and it'll uh, put me under a master that keeps me moving, all right, and, and work our way through it. So I'd like to look, first of all, First Thessalonians chapter 5, in verses 12 and 13, and remind us uh, in this passage and then one other passage of two key principles that I've actually put there in your notes. But let's read the text of Scripture. First Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13 says, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord, and give you instruction that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. I put these words in your outline there. Shepherds are called to lead and feed. And I think that's just trying to summarize uh, the portion that speaks about their work. It says they diligently labor among you. Even though it's not, they're not actually named as shepherds, I think most take it as uh, the, the leadership in the church. This idea of laboring among you probably reflects the language of 1 Corinthians 16, where Paul holds up for honor people whose work and labor is in service to the saints. And, and, and God in this very, uh, powerful work He did at Thessalonica. Remember, Paul was just there for a short period of time. But this great turning to Christ and forming of an assembly and the emerging among them of people who would labor for the health of the church. And so shepherds over the congregation, pastors, leaders for the church, and it, t- it talks about two things they do there at the end of verse 12. They have charge over you in the Lord. That's lead. And give you instruction, that's feed. And that's not, I mean, those are common ways we talk about the work of shepherds, right? The, the idea here of leading is that they would have a place of, of, of really presiding over the assembly, that they would manage the church well, like 1 Timothy 3 talks about, uh, that, that there is a responsibility to direct and guide the, the, the congregation. I think on a personal level in their walk with God, but I think as well in congregational obedience. That is, if they are to have charge over the congregation in the Lord, it's not just to help each individual grow in Christ. That is certainly a part of it, but that the church together would be obeying what Jesus has entrusted the church to do. That they are to lead the church in congregational obedience. All right, that they would be calling God's people to act on the truth that they had received from Jesus Christ and to carry that out. And, and we do this. I mean, if, if you're a shepherd, uh, elder, a pastor, uh, then you, you know you, you attempt to do this in, in many facets of, of the church. I mentioned worship, and when we gather to assemble as God's people, we see those who are shepherds responsible for leading the church in obedient worship, right? What what does God call the church to do when it gathers together on the Lord's day to worship Him? We see the shepherds as responsible for pursuing congregational obedience in that. 
We think about that when we talk about discipleship or, or governance or uh, the work of how we will help hurting people. Lots of us with shepherds would say, if we're going to counsel people, we need to make certain that we're applying theology so that the shepherds would lead that process to make certain we're being obedient to God. Yet often, when it comes to the issue of missions, we are allowing external organizations to actually set the agenda for how the church obeys the Great Commission of Jesus Christ. That, that it's being driven by parachurch ministries or, or by uh, uh, really uh, educational, possible educational institutions, uh, sentimentality about what is missions. I mean, I, I've been uh, personally sort of my... Uh, pet peeve about it is that I think functionally in our day, missions has been reduced to going to somewhere other than where you live to do something for Jesus. I mean, it really doesn't matter what it is, as long as you're not where you were and you're going there to do it for Jesus. And, and, and it's called missions. So people can be, you know, in Kenya, teaching Kenyans how to care for the environment as a missionary of creation care. Okay, and, and, and you might laugh, but, but uh, that particular title comes from a missionary supported of a, a major evangelical church of which the author wrote a book on missions. Okay, so, so the reality of it is, or if you go back to Cape Town 2010 and you look at, at what they said about missions... They would, they would sweep all of that stuff into missions. Alright, and, and what I would say is if we're called to shepherd the flock, to lead them into obedience to what Jesus commissioned, then we, we cannot have the agenda being set, uh, like that, uh, by sentimentality, or, uh, popular fads and trends, or parachurch, pressure to broaden constituencies or to to sort of tap into the spirit of volunteerism that controls our day it really needs to it needs to flow from the responsibility entrusted to shepherds to lead the flock into obedience to jesus christ they have charge over you in the lord it says and notice it says and give instruction this is the the word often translated admonish so some take it as uh, having a little bit more of an applicational kind of flavor to it. It's not, it's not just the imparting of, of uh, truth, but it's, it's imparting of truth, which is aimed to call for action and obedience, the, the kind of thing that the Scriptures are given to us, right? It's given to us for teaching and reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So, so it's not just an informational a thing that you're passing along, but it's called to transform people into followers of Christ who are like Christ, doing the work of Christ. And so they're called to feed and lead. Let me ask you if you would just turn turn over to First Timothy chapter 5 quickly, if you would, because I want to address this second principle, again, by way of reminder to us. I'm assuming these are not unfamiliar texts. Uh, to you, but things that, that are important in your thinking. First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17 says, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So here's the way I've stated on your outline there. Shepherds lead best through feeding. 
They lead best through feeding. The idea of exercising that leadership, elders who rule well, and then it highlights the, the kind of honor that, or, or the kind of ruling well that's worthy of double honor. Those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Obviously, I don't intend to get into a full uh, wrestling match of whether this creates two categories of elders. I do not think it does. I think it's talking about the responsibility of elders to exercise uh, good leadership over the church, and the center of that is their ministry of the word. In other words, leaders lead best when they are communicating biblical truth. They're working hard at preaching and teaching. And so here's the, the, the truth that I really think has to carry us forward in this issue of preaching missions from the text, that we would lead well the church into missions, is that, that and I think we recognize this right, behavior grows out of our beliefs. That is, that our, our beliefs are what produce the behaviors. So instead of starting at the behavior end of the equation and sort of forcing conformity in action, we lead best when we actually are taking the truth of God and applying it in a clear and compelling way based on the authority of Scripture to change the way people think about the church and the mission that Christ has given to the church. That is, we lead them by feeding them the truth of God so that they know what God's called the church to do so that then they begin to act on that truth. So they're not just being hearers of the word who delude themselves, but they're actually being doers of the word. And so so we have a responsibility as leaders, if I could put it this way, is to shape the beliefs and behavior of the church. We stand in pulpits with the Word of God to say, this is what God has said to us about what we are to think and how we should live in light of that truth. And that's true about missions as well. That what we think about missions should be grounded in what God has said, and what we think about how missions should be carried out should be grounded in what God has said. And so we proclaim that truth and then call on God's people to obey that truth. We lead outward from the teaching. And a lot of times, a lot of times, uh, we, we simply just accept some kind of programmatic commitment and we haven't taken the time to convince God's people of the truth of it. And we need to work our way out in that way so that we can, we can transform and shape the hearts and minds of God's people so that then we move into action to do what God wants us to do. Right, and, and so, so in my mind, those two principles would be the rationale biblically behind us seeing our preaching ministry as essential to shaping the missions of the church. That our preaching is not supposed to be just a, hey, we've got a missions conference, it's time for my annual sermon on missions. Okay, or we're going to have a missions conference, so we're going to have a few people come in and preach about missions for a week. And then in the rest of the year, we just sort of go on with everything else. And, and it ought to be actually flowing out of the consistent exposition of Scripture that we are seeing the connection between what Jesus commissioned us to do and the, the text of Scripture that we're preaching so that we're making those connections for people so that it shapes their thinking and their heart and therefore translates into obedience about the mission of Jesus Christ. So let's step into the second point of the outline there, the practice. 
I, I have the privilege of teaching two homiletics courses in our seminary, and in the first one, I, I work through this process to get them to this idea of expositional preaching. So I've just reproduced it here, and again, this is, is really more uh, review. Uh, hopefully you're committed to these things. If not, I doubt that I could convince you right now in them, but I'm going to sort of assume, again, that we're a little bit on the same page. But here's the way I put it out. Expositional preaching is a method of preaching which unpacks the original meaning of a biblical passage, correlates it with the unified message of Scripture, and makes appropriate application to its contemporary hearers. Let me just zero in on a few things there. The first is unpacks a biblical passage. So when we're talking about expositional preaching, we're not talking necessarily about the form of the sermon as as much as the method of the sermon. It's a sermon that starts with a passage of Scripture and then seeks to work out from that passage to show God's people what it says and what it means. Okay, And, and, and so we, we're working with the text of Scripture to show people what God has said to us. And, and that, that goal pursues the original meaning of the passage. That is, it means, it means for us today what it meant for them. The writer of Scripture communicated the message, and therefore that's the message we seek. We're not parachuting into it with some what-does-it-mean-to-me-today thing. As the first step, it is what did it mean from the mind of God through a human author for human recipients. Okay, And then the next part of that says correlates it with the unified message of Scripture. Because every passage of Scripture sits in within the context of the full Scriptures, then we need to understand it in light of that. All right? and, and, and you know this, if I, if I started, you could probably finish it, right? We, our hermeneutic is that we approach it with a grammatical, historical, theological interpretation of Scripture. This is that theological component. The first two I talked about, unpacking a biblical passage in its original meaning, that's the grammatical. It means what it says. And so we find out the meaning by looking at what it says, the meaning of the words, the arrangement of those words with each other. But the theological component is that this text of Scripture sits within the full revelation of God, and so two things are necessary for me. One is to make certain that I am understanding it in light of the rest of Scripture. Okay, If I find some meaning in a passage that contradicts something else that the Bible clearly teaches, I have not found the right meaning of the passage. Because God does not contradict himself. All right, it's complementary, so I need to find the message of this passage as it fits consistently within the full message of Scripture, and Scripture exercises some control over my interpretation in that way. But this passage also contributes to the full message of Scripture, right? It is actually giving me a part of the fabric of what God has revealed. And so I look at this passage as contributing information that allows me to have a unified understanding of some topic or subject. That's what we call theology, right? If we're going to talk about a theology of missions, then we're going to every passage of Scripture that says something about missions, uh, seeking to unpack the truth that, that is in that passage, and then correlate it all together so we have a unified understanding of what God has said to us about missions. 
And we have that responsibility. Because if we're taking some passage and using it in a way that contradicts the rest of what the Scripture says about missions, then we're misusing that passage. We're not being faithful to serve that passage. But each passage also makes contribution. And so we need to think that way, particularly that second part we'll see in a moment, because that's crucial to us making certain as we preach the text of Scripture that we have an eye to see how this passage might contribute to our understanding of missions. There's something that may be from this passage that needs to be correlated into my full understanding of a theology of missions. Okay, and then, then clearly the last part of this definition is that we would make appropriate application to its contemporary hearers. And, and the simple key to appropriate application is the, uh, the application that this text calls for. Right? This, this text says something that has significance for contemporary hearers, so we make the application that flows out of this text. That's, that's what we're working with and seeking to do that. All right, so now that's the, the, the sort of uh, sentence version of it. Just look at the three points there really quickly. I just want to tie it together. So that means we do interpretation. What does this text say and mean? Then we need to move to correlation. Does this text contribute to our understanding of Great Commission ministry? All right, that, that's what we could do at every passage as we're doing exposition. We could, we could ask ourselves this question. Is there anything that this passage contributes to my understanding of Great Commission ministry? I'm trying to tie it in to what God is doing throughout the scriptures to teach us what we need to know about what the church is to be and do when it comes to the Great Commission. Then application. Does this text affect the way we do Great Commission ministry? All right, now again, let me just draw an analogy because I don't think this is, I mean, this is nothing uh, that, that you really, in some sense, are, you are probably already doing this. Okay, if you've, if you've ever preached on worship, you, you probably have preached uh, what we would say is sort of a theological or thematic sermon on worship in which, you know, you, ta- you tackled the, the subject of worship. But then you have other messages in which, as you are preaching texts of Scripture that address directly the issue of worship, you've preached on those. And, and we were sort of in our sweet spot at that point. We go to John 4 and, and preach on worship because it, it's right on it. But... I'm pretty sure that if you've been preaching through the scriptures, you've come to passages that are not foremost on the issue of worship, but they do address worship truth. And you see that. You, you know that. And therefore, you pull, uh, the, you, 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 I should say, you lift the truth out. And you tie it into what you know about worship. I mean, I'll just give one example. If you're going through Hebrews and you, you come to chapter 12 at the end and it says, you know, uh, since we receive a kingdom, we, we worship him with grace, with reverence and awe. You know, you're, you're probably just preaching through Hebrews, but all of a sudden you come to this deposit of truth that has significant impact on your thinking about worship. And so what you do is, is a part of your sermon, you, you draw it out and say, so folks, think about what this means for our worship. That would be correlation. You're tying it in, and then you might say, and that's why we do X. That's application. 
You, you are now saying, so, so we approach worship in this way because of this truth in this text. Okay, and you might do that about leadership, about evangelism, about discipleship. But, but often, I think, we as shepherds have not been act, as actively doing that about missions as we should. Because, because most of us inherited a system. Right? We, we stepped into a system, and in fact, much of what's being done for missions is being done way, way away from us, and so we're, we're, we don't feel like we're, you know, we may have spent the night at a Holiday Inn Express, but we're not missionary experts. Right? We, we just, so, so we, we don't, for some reason, don't feel the liberty to say, Listen, as a part of our shepherding of God's people, here's what God says about the missionary endeavor entrusted to the church, not the mission boards. And, and quite honestly, not to missionaries as an independent entity. They are serving on behalf of local churches. Local churches send out missionaries. Missionaries report back to the local churches. The, the, the missionaries serve the church. And so the church needs to know what Jesus wants us to do. And then lead to carry that out. So we should be preaching it so we shape the minds of all of God's people because the Great Commission was not given to mission boards. It wasn't given just to missionaries. It was given to the disciples of Jesus Christ. And loads of those disciples sit in the pew in front of you on Sunday that you're supposed to be teaching them to observe all that Christ commanded. And so we have to do this. We have to do this if we're going to be faithful shepherds. We need to be showing the connection points to a, 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 a complete understanding of missions and also showing the, the application points of how we do missions here at whatever the church is. Okay, that we're engaged in the missionary enterprise. And when I say do missions, I'm not thinking just like way over there somewhere. You are a missionary outpost in the community in which God put you. And so you need to be doing missions in the Great Commission sense of the term. All right, so let me ask you if you would now go to Matthew 28, because what I want to do here in this last part, I've labeled it as a paradigm. Again, and the reason I chose that word was not just because it started with a P, all right, so it would match the other ones. Uh, it was that I was, I was hoping what I could do here is say that you and I actually should have a paradigm in our mind about missions established from the text of Scripture so that we have that, if I could put it this way, Great Commission Mindset. So that as we're going through the scriptures and expositing it to people, that when, when I say to you, we need to do correlation and application. So how do we know where the points of correlation and application are? Well, what I'd like to try and do is sort of impress a paradigm on you so that you're thinking about these aspects of the Great Commission and how the text that you're expositing in Acts and the Epistles reflect parts of the Great Commission that have a connection point to parts of the Great Commission. Because I believe, and I, and I hope you would agree with this, uh, at least this part of it, Acts records the church in obedience to the Great Commission, Right? 
mean, so that's like an easy one. Acts is, is just re- recording the church stepping out to do the commission that Jesus gave them. But what about the epistles? Okay, they're written, they're written to churches which are the fruit of the Great Commission. But also, and, and I, you'll have to check this out and become convinced on yourself, but have you ever noticed the, the text in 2 Peter 3, verse 1? where Peter says the commands that you have received of the Lord Jesus through his apostles, that that that, have you ever thought about that, teaching them to observe all that I commanded? Does that just look backward? Right? Is that simply, Jesus is saying here, teach them to observe all that I commanded you, so, so we should go into the Gospels and find all that Jesus commanded. I'm not saying we don't do that. I mean, Piper wrote that one book on that, that, that is, is intended to do that. But what I would say is that on the authority of 2 Peter 3, 1, we could say that the epistles are the commands of the apostles, the commands of the Lord Jesus to us through the apostles. That is, they are an explanation to us of what Jesus wants us to do. And so when we're preaching the epistles, we are unpacking the commandments of the Lord Jesus, which were given to us through the apostles, teaching us to observe all that Christ commanded. And so, so the, the whole rest of the New Testament is coming in to supplement the Great Commission. That's what I would suggest to you. So we ought to have a Great Commission mindset when we approach it. Now, I know you know the Great Commission, so I'm, 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 I'm risking putting you right into Napsville here in the middle of the afternoon. But, but let me just sort of, I'm going to pass through this two times real quickly, all right? Let's read the text first, verse 18, 2018. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You probably have your own outline and approach to it. Here's, here's simply the one I want to give you to sort of be a paradigm because it works for me to finish the rest of this message. All right. So that's the way it works. This is actually the way I teach on it as well in our church and, and other places. But 18 is our authority. Uh, it's our authority. All authority has been given, uh, to, to Jesus. This is, I think, post-resurrection authority. It has been given to him in heaven and earth. That's what the epistles tell us about. And I think that that means that we can go to do the Great Commission and we must go to do the Great Commission. Verse 19 gives us the activity that we're engaged in, the making of disciples. I've, I've marked in your outline as new creatures or converts. We're to call people to faith in Jesus Christ through his person and work that results in a, a changed life like at Thessalonica. Remember, you turn from dead idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, Jesus, whom he raised from the dead, who rescues us from the wrath to come. There's a, a real... Uh, conversion that takes place. That's what discipleship is. All right? But also, we're supposed to form new communities. Because he says here, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I don't know where you are on ecclesiology, but I hope most of us agree that baptism is an ordinance of the church. So this text presupposes the formation of churches, right? This is not just individuals going out there and say, hey, do you want to become a follower of Jesus? Let's fill up the bathtub. 
It is the formation of churches. In fact, the teaching ministry that has to happen. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Ephesians 4 says when Christ ascended to heaven, he deposited that teaching ministry through the gifts in the local church. 1 Timothy 3 says that it's in the local church that is the pillar and support of the truth. We know it's the local church, right? Because he just said in the verse right before that, I've written these things you know how to conduct yourself. In that verse, and he just talked about prayer in the assembly, the role of women in the assembly, qualifications of overseers, qualifications of deacons. So he's not talking about the universal church there when he says that. He's talking about the operation of local assemblies and their role as the center of the teaching ministry that God has intended. So it's new creatures, new communities, and then new congregations, the multiplication or reproduction of those churches. Because it's actually wrapped up in the text, right? If you're supposed to teach them to observe all that Christ commanded, what's the last thing that Jesus taught before he left? Go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. And so the church, the early church understood this. The goal was not just to win as many people to Christ as possible. It was to win people to Christ, form them in assemblies that would then multiply themselves in the regions around them. Like Thessalonica, right? He says, you became imitators and us and of the Lord. And he tells us exactly how. Verse 8, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord into all Macedonia and Achaia. That is, they didn't just receive the gospel, they became participants in, in spreading the gospel into their region. And that was in obedience to the Great Commission. I mean, that's, that's why Paul could say in Romans 15, you familiar with this text? He says that I have fully preached the gospel of Jesus Christ from Jerusalem all the way around up to Illyricum. Actually, I should be drawing it backward for you guys, all right? From Jerusalem all the way around up to Illyricum. Illyricum is modern Albania. Paul says, I've fully preached the gospel. There's no more room for work in this region. Could you say, Paul, everyone's come to Christ? What would Paul say? He'd say no. And we know that because 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 is written to a church in that area. And he says, not all have faith. So how was Paul done? Paul had planted churches all through that region. And now those churches were responsible for multiplying themselves out. That's what the Great Commission is. That's what he's called us to do. All right. And then also we have the arena in which we do it, all nations. That means new places because there's all this geographic emphasis in the in the passage of Scripture, right? It, it's not just ethne. It is beginning at Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. All right. It is throughout that whole region. So it's new places and new peoples. And then our assurance, I'm with you always. Uh, that is his power working on our behalf, like in Acts 11.21, the hand of the Lord was upon them, his provision and protection. All right, so so here's what I, I'd suggest to you. If you have this paradigm, and then you're preaching through the Scriptures, there are going to be plenty of places where you see opportunity to to take the truth that's in that text and correlate it with what's in the Great Commission and make application of it. All right, I'll just give a couple examples just to try and show you what I mean. So, so let's say you're preaching through Acts. You come to chapter 4, and Paul, uh, Peter says to the, the leaders there that he's not going to stop preaching Christ because he must obey God rather than men. Okay, so, so here, here you would normally, you see that, you'd start to, to make application about probably your own church, the inclination. So folks, we, you know, no matter what happens in our culture around us, our society, our authorities, we need to do what God told us to do. And everyone will amen. 
Okay, and they ought to. But here's where you need to do is take that text and go, and the reason that's true is because Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, he has all authority in heaven and earth. So why can we disobey human government like Romans 13 tells us? It's because the authority of Jesus Christ, I started to say trumps. That's not a good word to use these days. (laughs) The authority of Jesus Christ is over all other human authorities, right? And in fact, and now here you go, correlation, application. So this gives us the answer for why our church can actually send people to places on the planet where the government tells them no. You know, people used to talk about closed countries. Should we, should we refuse to send missionaries into countries where the government says you're not allowed in? Here's the biblical answer for us. We must obey God rather than men. And the Lord Jesus said he has all authority in heaven and earth, and so we must go. So his authority is over all other human authorities, and we see that in how Peter responded here, and that has to be the same response for us. You see what I did is I just lifted it all up to missions and said this is why we need to think the way we do. This is the way we need to act the way we do. If you look at that new creatures portion of it, any, any text, any text really about discipleship, new birth, following Christ, you can anchor it in the Great Commission and, and talk about the fact that this is what it means to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And so we need to be thinking about it in those terms. And so I tie it into the theology of discipleship that Jesus gave us. And then I could make application like this. So that means that when we send people to the fields of the world, we are after something more than just decisions. We're after disciples. That means our strategies have to be designed for something more than just like showing up in a place, preaching a message, saying, hey, do you want to go to hell? No. Okay, here's how to go to heaven. And then get back in our Jeep and leave. That's not what Jesus called us to do. Right? So I've made application about the missionary task in that way. I can do say every, every aspect of ecclesiology fits the same thing. Every aspect of the spreading of the gospel into regions when I come across it, like, like 1 Thessalonians 1 or Colossians 1 7. I mean, this one might be one that you'd be like, what are you doing here? Well, Paul never went to Colossae, right? But Acts tells us he spent two years in Ephesus and the word spread through that whole region. And so when Colossians 1 7 says that Epaphras brought the gospel down there, that, that most likely happened in that period. And what we could say is, see, that's what God wants us to be doing. We're right here. And God wants the word to be spreading, and when it spreads, he wants to form assemblies that can be growing in Christ and spreading out into their region as well. So all of a sudden, I'm in the middle of Colossians 1, or beginning of Colossians 1, and I lift it up to tie it into what the scriptures say about our mission given to us by Christ and how to apply that and what we need to be doing in that regard. And there are places all throughout the Scriptures. I I certainly do not in any way want you to force any text of Scripture to serve your agenda. What my hope is, is that we will break out of our privatized, individualized approach to understanding of what Jesus has told us to do, to realize that Jesus said he was going to build his church And he commissioned us, the church, to engage in the 
mission of Jesus Christ, so we all are a part of it, and so we should be reading the Scriptures, not just about me and Jesus, but how we are going to do what Jesus called us to do. And don't force any text to your agenda, but make certain that we're submitted to the agenda of Christ as he revealed through his text. That we would be following what he called us to do. That we'd have a great commission mindset. That we would have a robust and radical commitment to faithful exposition that is tied into what Jesus Christ is doing to bring glory to himself. You know, the the night in which Jesus prayed... Uh, in John 17, before his betrayal, he said in John 17:4, a text that I think should just grab our hearts. He said, I have glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you gave me to do. Jesus tied together, honoring his Father, glorifying him by doing the work that the Father had given him. You drop down 16 verses, and Jesus says, I'm not praying for them only but for those who will believe on me through their name, their word. So, so Jesus, in the two verses before that, as you sent me, I'm sending them to proclaim the word. So here's, here's what, as a shepherd, as a pastor, my hope and ambition is, is that when I'm done serving Christ where he put me, that I will be able to say about our church, we have glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you gave us to do. And, and we should lead and shepherd with that ambition and heart so that we're leading God's people through the feeding of them God's word so that they can grow in grace and we can together fulfill the mission of Christ. Can I lead us in prayer real quickly here? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace that opened the eyes of our understanding and brought us to Christ and Thank you for the stewardship that you've entrusted to us as leaders in the local church and, and as servants in the church. And, Lord, please take the things that were said today in sort of an a, a overview kind of a way, and I pray that they might open up some, some really fruitful avenues and pathways of thinking and, and shaping so that we together can remain faithful to the mission that Jesus Christ has given us. We ask it in his name. Amen.